Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. I know we've been off for a few and I put up a special Patreon episode. That'll be the only time I do that. Most of the time, that'll only be available to our Patreon friends. Just wanted to give you a little taste of what it's like with my friend Shauna Lane. But we're back. And this week on Friends, welcome new friend Hitha Pillipu. She is the CEO of Roshan Pharmaceuticals, entrepreneur, investor, author, and speaker. She's the author of We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris and How to Pack, Travel Smart for Any Trip, and hashtag Five Smart Reads is her Webby Honored News Curation. Her Instagram content uplifts and informs her community. Hitha is a sought-after speaker on the topics of entrepreneurship, investing, parent-work juggle, and on diversity and inclusion. And she is a great guest. I can't wait for you to share this episode with Minnie. Holly Harper is back. Welcome, Holly. One of our favorite friends, currently the creator and co-exec producer of Hella Late with Holly Harper on Brick TV. And she is the co-host of the nationally trending Twitter storytelling chat, Blurred Dating. Holly was nominated as Best Actress in the 2021 New York City Web Fest for her work in Hella Late with Holly Harper. Holly works also with Gold Comedy and Stand Up Girls, two programs that empower young women by teaching them stand-up comedy. And she is the creative consultant for the successful Black Women in Comedy Laugh Fest. I have a headline show coming up for you in New York City at the Fat Black Pussycat, which is part of the Comedy Cellar, on Tuesday, July 19th at 7 p.m. That's Tuesday, July 19th at 7 p.m. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us for Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast, and Twitter is friendslikeusten. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and a special shout out goes to our patreon friends especially our new friend demetrius it's because of you and others on our patreon page that we keep going and a new feature that is available on squadcast allows our friends to be backstage while we're recording in real time i will have more information on that soon but it will only be available to our patreon friends at a certain tier level. Mm. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick, my wacky friend, Dave Juskow. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews, and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to my comedy show on July 19th. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. I mean, there is a variant out that is breaking through the vaccine. So wear it. Booster up and Black Lives Matter. 
Holly Harper. Hello. Welcome back to the show, Holly Harper, fresh off Black Women in Comedy Laugh Yes. Fest. How did it go? It was amazing. It was so much fun. And I really needed a week to recover because it started on Wednesday night and it went all the way through Sunday. And it was just like, it was, I had shows every day. Then I was going to see other shows. It was amazing. And I, I love it. And it's such an um, incredible experience for so many Black women who were like, wow, we only see like one or two of us on a show unless it's an all-Black show. So this is amazing. And how was the audience's reception? Oh, they loved it. They loved it. And it was, What were some of the things they said? Um... Well, okay, so I had the stand-up girl show. I teach stand-up comedy through stand-up girls. And so the graduation, high school girls, so the graduation is they do like a three to five minute set, three to seven minute set. And they were like, the audience was like, wow, to see young girls do this, imagine how a generation of comedians we could bring forth if this was like hardcore around the country. And I was like, yeah, because they were like really doing it at like 15, 16, like really good sets. They have that creative mind. Yeah. Whereas when you get older, you get a little bit inhibited, start worrying about offending people. The young people aren't worried because they're the ones who are canceling. <laughs> right? Yeah, like they were worried. No, but some of the young people, they were like, can I say this? Can I say that? I was like, you can say anything you want. Just try to punch up. Welcome new friend to the show, Hitha Palapu. Hitha Palapu. What did I, why am it's I It's okay. Hitha Hithapalapu. Okay. I thought I had it. Look, I was so confident. I know. We could take it back from the top if you want. <laughs> no, no, they know I messed up. <laughs> Let them know. Let them know I did it wrong. I, I, I did it wrong, everybody. But here we go. I want to say it like I mean it. And welcome, new friend to the show, Hithapalapu. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I know you also from Nitika Chopra, who, when I told her you were coming on the show, she was like, oh my God, I love her. She is such a good friend and she's so nice, which I was like, thank God. Cause you know, I never <laughs> want anyone who's like, comes on my show that I ha I'm meeting for the first time. It's called Friends Like Us. My listeners know me pretty well, so they can tell when I'm not connecting with someone. So right away when you joined, I was like, it's, this is going to be a fun show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty sure my kids are like, she's not so nice today if they were hearing this right now. I made Ro do worksheets. I made Rocky like do a timeout after he hit his brother. So I'm not their favorite person today. So I'm very happy to be here. I'm seeing like everything that you're doing. You're still CEO of pharmaceutical company? Yes. Being a CEO of a pharmaceutical company, like, should I invest in that stock? What's, what pharmaceutical <laughs> company is this? We are not public, unfortunately, uh -oh. but um, I will say I have my job because of good old-fashioned nepotism. My father is the founder. He asked me to come on board in 2018 to help lead fundraising and strategy, and I did, and he hasn't fired me yet, so I will be here for as long as I am doing my job. But the beauty of also running a very lean, virtual, asynchronous first company is I do have the flexibility, as long as I'm getting everything done, to pursue the things that I matter to me and that I'm passionate about, which is increased literacy for the news and having a smart approach to news consumption, including combating the terrible news that is purely for clicks and revenue and not actually designed to inform. Mm -hmm. Got a lot Ooh, of thoughts about thank that. You. Yes. And um, fighting for the causes I believe in and making it less scary and less intimidating for people to learn how to use their voice and to take action to build a world we want to live in, not the world we're stuck living in right now. Absolutely. 
I know. And you do focus on, on helping young women, young, you know, feminism. Why do you do that with young women? I think when you're young, you are so, you can focus so much more on what could be and you're not bogged down. You haven't had as many experiences of disappointment, imposter syndrome, whatnot, that I think there is a sense of optimism that I remember having when I was 18 years old that I want to capture and help direct in the right direction and offer resources for people to be able to take action and be informed without being overwhelmed. And I really care a lot about people learning how to build boundaries to protect their peace because advocacy and active citizenship is a long game. It is many marathons. And so if you are not prioritizing rest, rejuvenation, and not getting disappointed just because of one election and learning to build that stamina, that is a really important quality that I don't think we talk nearly enough about. You know, you have the commoditized self-care and you have that of the performative activism, but that's not how change really happens. Change really happens on Am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I moving my body? Am I eating something green? Am I doing something that I really want to do? And am I calling my reps every single day? Am I voting in every single election? Am I having hard conversations with people who may view the world differently than I am? And am I listening as much as I am speaking? And so these are things along with financial literacy we should be teaching in schools. We don't. So... I'm happy to deliver that in the school of Instagram. Nice. Because that's, and what about TikTok? Do you use TikTok for that? I'm still trying to learn TikTok. Like my niece is who's younger and of the Gen Z generation is coming to stay for a week. And I am like, I need TikTok boot camp. Please help me. Yeah, because you could reach all the, because that's where they are. The kids are. Yeah, yeah. They're in Snap. So I need to figure out my strategy there, but it will come. (laughs) <laughs> and what I love about both of you being on the show today, it's like perfect chemistry because you both with work with young women and you also have children. So you understand like everything that's going on in the world. It's connected, you know, um, let's jump right into these topics because with these topics, I can also go over your book about Kamala Harris. So I am going to get into that with these topics. First topic, we have the conservative skeptical of Thomas that's a Clarence oh, new challenge. Associate Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that the court should examine the legal underpinnings of issues, including same-sex marriage and the use of contraception. Many conservatives believe that Thomas is essentially inviting legal challenges in regard to rights the court has previously ruled are protected by the Constitution. Because of this, the chances for the court to actually rule against gay rights and birth control are pretty slim for now. However, three liberal dissenters are worried and willing to take necessary steps to fight against it. Many legal scholars who are in sync with Alito and Kavanaugh believe that there aren't votes for reexamination of those other issues because abortion is a distinct controversial issue for many years, something to take into account. If Alito and Kavanaugh aren't on board, no such reversals will happen. Do you trust that? No. No. Because Brett Kavanaugh said that he was, uh, that was not trying to ban abortion. Like he, you know what I mean? So first of all, this man perjured himself. So that Amy Coney Barrett, so that Gorsuch, they all said they weren't trying to challenge abortion. And they all just went over. They just lied to get there. We're not. Alito too. Alito. Alito also said this was settled during his confirmation hearing as well. And what's interesting here is if you go back and watch it, it's like 
they told the truth just in terms of a non-answer. They never said, I believe. They just said, Roe is precedent. Never said that that precedent shouldn't be overturned. They were very careful in what they say, which is why urge caution when you're watching these hearings, because it's not what they say, it's what they've done. And you need to look back on their judicial history and how they ruled in the past to really get a sense of where they stand. And I mean, this is originalism. Like, I went back and read this. In Ben Franklin's book is a recipe for abortion. Like many recipes for abortions of his almanac. And so abortion actually is uniquely American and has been around since the time of the Constitution and was perfectly legal and was supported by one of our most foremost founding fathers. So when I see this, I'm inclined to follow what they've done, not what they've said. And so I do believe these are on the chopping block. That said, I would like to see a galvanized um, resurgence for the ERA because such an act would protect queer people, would protect those with uteruses and access to their healthcare rights. And it's a stronger basis than I think privacy has been for these, what we took for granted as constitutional rights. And once it's ratified in the constitution, it's very hard to overcome that. And they don't have the general population numbers on the side, only these sort of state by state numbers. Yeah. The thing that's just so insane to me is, I mean, I know it sounds like common sense, but all this is, is just a conversation about taking away people's rights. And I just feel like anybody that is about taking away people's rights, you're not fit to serve. Like, how are we moving on from a, any kind of base level if everybody doesn't have the same rights? And I know it sounds like, duh, but is it? You know what I mean? Because, I mean, you look at like, um, what was it, Cornwin? Senator Cornwin was like, you know, we should revisit Plessy versus Ferguson. You know, I'm like, oh, you mean like white water fountains and black water fountains? And that's exactly what it is. And so I'm like, we're there? Instead of like, how do we fix our schools? How do we fix our roads? We're like going in the opposite direction. And it's really frightening. And I just, I'm disgusted like everybody else. And I feel like we need to get super aggressive really fast. Yeah. And I love um, your post. The, um, the one that you wrote on your Instagram. Can you talk about that? Because I think it's, do you have it? I have it here if you want me to read it, but I think it'd be more powerful because it's coming from you if you do. Yeah, I mean, I am alive and my younger son is here because I had an abortion. I had two. One was to expel the products of conception from that miscarriage. And the second was to go back and correct because they missed some the first time. And I was, I was aggressively bleeding out. Like I was going to change my pad every 30 minutes when I was in a major work meeting. And after that meeting, when I nearly passed out, my father rushed me to the emergency room where they put me under, repeated the DNC, gave me a blood transfusion because I had lost that much blood. I would have died if I lived in a state like Texas or Mississippi, Mississippi or Kentucky, anywhere in these states that now have banned abortion, because the thing is, abortion is healthcare. You cannot discern and divide only these people deserve access to this procedure, life-saving medication and procedure, and these don't because people will die. 
no matter what, when you try to ration care, what we haven't done is protect life. What we've done is criminalized pregnancy for the people who can only get pregnant five days out of every single month versus putting the onus, every ejaculation can result in a pregnancy. Where is there? Where is the justice or the restrictions or the lack of bodily autonomy to the ejaculators? Yeah. That is what I would like to know. They are responsible. Call them men. Yeah, they're responsible yeah. for 100% of the pregnancies. These ejaculating men. Ejaculators. I'm trying to be more inclusive in the language too, because what we're not talking about is trans men and non-binary people whose own existence is questioned by so many people in this country. I also want us to think about them when they've already had a, an additional hurdle in just existing in America that we don't erase them from the conversation too. This is oh, about is that women. why you say that? Oh, that's why you say it that way. I do. I'm careful about saying pregnant people because I don't want to. Forget about our other, the, everyone else who's being affected by this that we don't necessarily hear from the most. Yes, this is mm-hmm. predominantly focused on women, but there are other people who will be deeply affected by it too. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I just think that a lot of times, sometimes women, right now specifically, we do need to say women. I, I just, I do feel that. It's um, about and that, that's, that's, that's a controversial thing I just said too, by the way, because uh, you know. But and I, it, you know, some people call it team turf. I, I'm not team turf. I don't go out against you know w- trans women or anything. But I do feel like women, the the focus on women needs to be an issue as well. Mm-hmm. But I love your post because you say we can also reclaim the word abortion, which is highly safe medical procedure or medicine to remove the products of conception from a uterus. It doesn't matter why a person gets an abortion, only that they can if they need it. Justifying the need is not the role of the government, but the person seeking it and their medical provider. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Reclaiming that word. Yeah. Because some people may go, well, I guess because now we're getting into a whole legal thing. So now they're going to try to get a, possibly away from the word I'm thinking in order to enact some legal measures so that women can get an abortion, right? I mean, the lawyers are going to be busy. If you want to, I mean, you also have to remember that abortion has been the word politicized, that word has been politicized over the past 40 years. What was to just be a medical term to expel the products of conception is now this baby killer. You have the term partial birth abortion, which isn't a real thing. Not a thing. It is, it's a politicized term used to raise a lot of money and get a lot of pro-forced birth justices in the courts and elected, um, representatives elected in all parts of government. So we do need to reclaim this word because it is a medical term that is inclusive on its own, not exclusive. So to try to pervert and misinterpret what this word is, is I think something, if those who have had an abortion for whatever reason feel comfortable talking about it, I think we should all be talking about our abortions, not saying I had a miscarriage and then a DNC. No, I had an abortion. It was because of a miscarriage, but it was an abortion. It is identical to someone who elected to be there, except there was no fetal heartbeat for me. Doesn't matter. I was able to get it safely. I was able to get it quickly. And I was able to get it without judgment and with lots of compassion. There's so many reasons why. I mean, like you say it, and it's so true. It saved your life. You know, you weren't, 
I don't know, you know, this overall understanding of abortion from the right is that we're killing babies on purpose, I feel. And it's like, my sister has lupus. I had breast cancer. If I were to, you know, I went through all the trying to figure out if I could still have a baby. And it was a very risky thing for me at that point. And let's say I did and didn't, you know, your hormones, it's just all this biology that they don't talk about mm-hmm. that people aren't aware of. You know, your estrogen levels when you have breast cancer changes the fact that you could have a baby. Uh, women who are on, let's see, uh, chemo, they can't, you know, it, it, lupus. My, if my sister were to have another baby right now, it, it could kill her. And so I, you know, and then you have these theories out. Now, this was not an article in here, but this woman represent Rep Miller. She thanked Trump for victory for white oh, life. Did you see that? I saw that? that. I saw that. And I tweeted that. I posted it wherever I could. She that she read. She, he said she misread the teleprompter. No, because she would have said if she misread the teleprompter, she would have said white to life. Like those terms don't even go together. White life and right to life. She would have said white to life. It would have came out like weird. And it would have been white life. So the idea, and then and then Trump was clapping and people were applauding. So it's just like, this was not an accident. You said it, and then you're like, your people cleaned it up. Like, uh-uh, we heard it. And we know, and like that's exactly what it's been this whole time. Uh, by the way, no one here is surprised by that. Yeah, we're not here. This no, is not, not this is not shocking to any of us. This has been a very big, big part of our American experience in being othered and made to feel like we are not American. Mm-hmm. We do not belong here. I mean, they just said the quiet part out loud, which I feel like is par for the course for the past, what, seven years yeah. since Trump announced he was running for president. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't get to double back now. You know, the Pandora's box is open. All the demons are out. Yeah, like it's no accident that on one day, they, she says, protecting white life. And then, like, the day of or the day before, they want to revisit Plessy versus Ferguson. That's not an accident. That's not an accident that there's the stand-your-ground laws and you can't protest and you can't say gay. No, that's it. Like, we're not stupid. We heard it. We saw it. And we all know. Um, now, you wrote the book on Kamala Harris. Can you tell us about We're Speaking? I love it that you have it there. Your bookcase, by the way, is so much more organized than mine. Look, I have eye drops on my bookcase. You, drops? you know what? That's actually a commitment to your um, your visual health. So that's actually great. If <laughs> yeah, I need you in my life to always go, actually, this is why, and it's okay. You Thank should. you. Everybody should have either. eye drops on their bookshelf or on their desk. <laughs> like we're staring at our computers all day. My ophthalmologist <laughs> insists on it. Anyway, <laughs> to my book, which is called We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris, Um, It is a book that is part biography on Vice President Harris. It is also tactical tools on how to embody the Kamalaisms I write about, these lessons that I have learned from her and admire about her and how to implement them in your own life or adapt them to work for your own life. And it is equal parts about career as it is about personal life because they are, we have one life. It is an integrated life. This whole talk about separating work from family, it just doesn't happen. And it certainly doesn't happen in a post-COVID world where 
how we live has fundamentally changed, especially as women, especially as mothers, and especially as mothers of color who have to focus on certain conversations we need to have with our kids about just them existing in this world. And so this book is sort of a biography, partly biography, but mostly a blueprint to embody certain lessons that make our vice president so remarkable and live them and live your truth and help build a better world. And something I really admire about the vice president is her longstanding commitment to reproductive rights. She was the one in the presidential debates who rightfully called out that they had never received a question about abortion. Not once. She has fought for reproductive rights in her time in the Senate, and I think she will be this administration's biggest champion and biggest mouthpiece for it, along with colleagues in the Senate who are still there, like Senator Gillibrand, Senator Klobuchar, and work on electing more senators who are willing to amend the filibuster, this antiquated rule designed Mm -hmm. to preserve minority rule, in my opinion, and to pass common sense reform in reproductive rights and healthcare rights, in voting rights, and if need be, remaking the court to redirect it back to this impartial, just system and not this highly, I mean, theocratic sort of agenda pushing moralistic more originalism i have a lot of issues with because again if the second amendment was based on originalism when it was currently written we would be outlawing muskets and ar95 like out muskets would be allowed ar95s would not be our founding fathers could not fathom the types of weapons we have today right. so i see a lot of weaknesses in that so i do think vice president harris her her track record shows that she is a longstanding champion for reproductive rights. But I also think it's so interesting to have a formal attorney general who's used to prosecuting or defending certain laws as our vice president and also as our health and human services secretary in Secretary Bacara, who was also California's attorney general. Having experienced prosecutors and attorneys general working on looking at the law, seeing how the court has ruled and figuring out what they can do from a federal level, as well as working with their counterparts at the state level to either attorney, district attorneys can refuse to prosecute these bounties Mm -hmm. and criminalizing physicians and people seeking an abortion. State attorneys general can also refuse to prosecute some of these cases as well. There is, I see pockets of hope in terms of this, as well as an ability to establish a solid local and state ground game, strengthening the positions in states like New York, California, Colorado, that have protected abortion rights and a right to abortion, and working on our ground game in states like Texas, in Georgia, in Florida, where you have district attorneys and already saying, I refuse to prosecute this, and making those stands, even in a hostile state. So, I see hope. So let me let me just yeah. I I want to ask you this real quick because um, th- while all of that is true, yeah, there is there is this article that I found that says this is exactly what Republicans want. They want brown people or black people or people who don't have the same views as they do 
running to these places where they're going to do exactly that work you just mentioned in protecting women who want to have abortions and women who um, are, are within that state, you know, that want to have abortions so that we become exactly blue, they become red, and they gerrymander, and then you have that elect. It supports the electoral college in the way that Republicans want. You know, everything you're saying is true. Like, you know, lawyers are going to work to do that. They're going to do that work. But, you know, we're always saying things like, for example, Holly, it's like, do we stay in where we live? You know, in New York, obviously, we're, well, except for the gun law they just fucked us with. Sorry, but true. Um, outside of that, we, you know, women in New York are, can get abortions. People are going to be coming here to get, people are going to be moving here, but that doesn't make it better. We can't exactly leave these red states, red states. And I don't think we should. And I think that's why Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke's candidacies for governor in their respective states are so important. Why Dee Wynn, who's running for secretary of state in Georgia, her election and candidacy is so important, which is why yeah. it's important to support organizations like Higher Heights and run for something and vote run lead that are supporting pro-choice candidates at the local and state levels. I believe we have an opportunity to remake our states. The South would be the Democrats' largest reliable voting bloc if they weren't so gerrymandered and voter suppressed. Right. And I refuse to abandon our, our brothers and sisters there. And, and so I think it is, you have to be focused on the local game as much as you can, as well as the federal game. You can't take your eye off either ball. And that's why... This won't happen. This didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And this will not be fixed overnight. So right. we have to, when I talk about building our citizenship stamina, this is it. We have to be willing to learn how to take some hits, focus on what can I do in the near term? What am I going to be committed to in the long term? And practice both. Yeah. Now, Holly, have you spoken to your the girls that you work with? Do like, what are you hearing from them? How are they, are, do they mention it? Or have you gotten to that where you talk to them about this law? Because it just happened, so. Well, we were talking about, um, you know, through the spring, because, you know, been, this has been creeping up for a while. And they, one thing that one of them said that just got me, she was like, I thought y'all generation handled that. Like, I thought you guys and like my grandma's generation, I thought that was like a done deal. And I was like, yeah, but we, we didn't take it all the way. You know what I mean? And so now here we are. And I was just telling them, I was just like, look, you girls need to know that so much of this anti-abortion is not about babies. It's about to take you guys out of the running. It is so men don't have to compete with you because when women don't have as many choices, they're not as able to compete on the highest levels. That's what's going on. We know that men are not applying to college the way they used to. For the first time, um, they're saying for the first time in history, more women are applying and getting into college than men. That's the first time in this past two years. You know, they thought it was about the pandemic, but now here we are, it's post-pandemic, and it's like, no. So there's a lot of whole concern about men in college and and why do we, and, you know, you see people like, what was that, writer James Patterson, like, white men can't even get a job, you know, as a writer. And, you know, he's written, like, how many books? Like, a million books? He isn't even writing, he's a ghostwriter. But, like, this whole idea that it's it's about babies, it's not about babies. It's about taking 
women out of the running. It's about creating a deeper black and brown underclass. And it's about clipping our wings. It's really all it is. So I talked to them about it, you know, as much as we could before we got into comedy. But I was like, you guys do need to read the news and you need to like, don't get your news just from like BuzzFeed. Like you guys need to really like look at stuff, like look at real shows. And some of them do, but it just confuses them. For them, they're just like, I don't understand. I thought, because a lot of them are like my daughter. Like my daughter is 15. She was an Obama baby. She had like little t-shirts that said Obama baby. I love Obama. She's called Obama's flags. She had little beige baby dolls. She's trying nurse Obama. Like she did like, the, she really did. She did the whole nine. And then it was when they were around eight, nine, 10, it was a complete reversal. So these kids are very confused. They're like, is it like this yeah. or is it like this? Well, it's like what Heatha, what you were saying about the longevity of feminism it's long term, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's such an important fact. Yeah. But we also haven't truly had an inter- a truly intersectional feminist movement. The feminism of the 70s was largely developed by and was for white women. Now we had a couple amazing champions to represent women of color and black women in particular, but they also weren't as welcomed in that in this group, yeah. you know? And so one, we have an opportunity to mount a truly intersectional campaign here, but unless it takes care of the most vulnerable of us, it will never be for all of us. That's and right. with all due respect to the white women listening to this podcast, you need to learn when to just step aside and listen and learn from the people who have been in this fight for decades. Be quiet. Learn to be quiet mm-hmm. and learn to pass the mic to those with the wisdom and the experience and the playbook to get this across the finish line. It's not in them to step aside, though, from what I'm seeing. No. Now you have people coming out and saying, I will aid you in getting an abortion. And I am like, you are announcing like criminal intent here. You can and will be prosecuted the next time we have a Republican president and a really scary Republican attorney general. I'm sorry. Like, you have to be extreme. And that lack of knowledge... And that lack of nuance and understanding of what will it take to, for real change to happen is both unsurprising and disappointing. I did see a friend post on her Instagram, if you need to go on a camping trip. <laughs> it, was, it was like, it was like, we, we were just like, I, I see the joke, but it's like, I know what you're talking about. If you just happen to want to come to New York. I'm here for you if you want to go on a camping trip. Want to see some museums? Maybe. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Yeah. Now we also have to look at our history, and I think you know, in America, what has been strategic from the very beginning is lack of education. That is what's kept poor people poor. That is what's kept brown and black people from being um, uninformed health-wise, and what's actually killed us. You know, Mm -hmm. um, the long shadow of eugenics in America. This is an article that I have to say, Khalise Hawkins, I love her so much. She's so smart. She's so brilliant. She really does look at this, the, the, all the sides of things. And she sent this article article to me like, you know, two weeks ago. Now we we've had a couple of podcasts. We're like one week behind. So I know everyone's like, Oh, you're just now talking about this abortion thing. And it's, this is actually the, the Monday after the Friday ruling. So, you know, 
Just so you know, that's where we are in the conversation only. And I've been waiting to talk about this just because I knew it was going to be, it was going to land right here the way it did. But this article by, um, in the New York Times by Linda Villarosa, Linda Villarosa, Rosa gives us her her perspective on the Ralph sisters and recounts the interactions that she had with both of them. Mary Alice, and if you don't have the New York Times, I don't know, get a PDF from someone. You got to read this. You got to read it. Mary Alice welcomed her with open arms into their cramped single story apartment. And Linda remembers not being able to understand what she was saying due to her speech impediment and intellectual disability. She then met Minnie Lee, who had a fractured foot from falling while trying to get a can of string beans in her kitchen cabinet. In the summer of 1973, Minnie Lee and Mary Alice were taken from their home in Montgomery, cut open and sterilized against their will without the informed consent of their parents by a physician working in federally, let me repeat that, in a federally funded clinic. A lawsuit revealed on their behalf, Ryan versus Weinberger, helped to reveal that more than 100,000 women, mostly black, Latina, and indigenous, were sterilized under U.S. government programs over decades. Although this officially ended this practice and forced doctors to get informed consent before performing sterilization procedures, forced sterilizations by the government still continue today. So did did you have a chance to look over the article? Yeah. I see, Heitha, what did did you, when you read this, like... Our bodies have never been our own in this country if you're a person of color. And that is uniquely American. And that is absolutely heartbreaking. So from reading about forced sterilization and how it was primarily focused on Black people Mm -hmm. and people with disabilities to considering what happened in, you know, this happened recently when like women of reproductive age were separated from their children and families at these border camps. And I think it was in Georgia, like 60 Latina women were sterilized. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Forcibly sterilized in this setting. So this is not history. This is our present. And it is American. Unfortunately, you can fly your flag and talk about apple pie and hot dogs as much as you want just to lie forth. This is as American as all of those hallmarks. And the, what really irks me is that a significant portion of the country celebrates it. So how do we have these conversations with the right? Uh, this is what I'm trying to figure out because it doesn't feel like I, you can't. Well, because this is why they're anti-CRT. They don't want to have the conversation. They want to do the dirt and then we can't talk about it, which is a way to control the whole narrative. It's like a gaslight. It's like, I hurt you and then I can control your reaction to it. It's just an ongoing gaslight all the time. But no, they can't, they, by, by their rules of what they want, we wouldn't even be able to discuss this. They'd be like, oh, that's that. And you guys are always victims. And I mean, come on, that's an isolated thing. But if we were like sterilizing 60 white women somewhere, like, are you kidding me? Like, are you like, well, we know the answer. We know the answer to this question. I feel like the answer, how do we have this conversation? Maybe we don't have a conversation with them. We have the conversation with us and make the conversation so big that they're unable to avoid it. Because trying to have a conversation with them kind of puts them in a power position of, let's have a conversation with you. Let's have a conversation. Like, no, we don't need them. Let's have the conversation and make it big enough so they can't avoid it. 
Let them, so their kids can hear. Yes, it. let them play catch up. Like, like I think their kids. If you if you put the information into their children, which they're afraid yes. of, the children you you're going to have the children in the home having the conversation, and that's what they're trying to avoid, yes. right? Yes, a divided house. Anti- house divided. Yes, the anti CRT is not about them; it's about their children because they saw with the mm-hmm. racial reckoning, they're like, "Oh crap." You know, Ashley and Scott are just straight up out there marching. Like, wait a minute. Like, they're, and they're coming home talking about all these things. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. We got to put a stop to all of this. So they go through it through schools and school boards and their little weird little meetings that they have. And they even have like some wayward idiot black allies who were like, yeah, CRT is telling me that I can't do nothing. And it's like, no, you let them tell you what it, you let them tell you what it is. Like, it's like, it's like asking the fox, how does the hunt go? Like, are you kidding me? So, you know, that I feel the answer is we have the conversation with our kids and our kids' platforms because our kids' platforms are their kids' platforms. We make the conversation big enough that they can't avoid it. And there's a different responsibility, I think, that we all have with our white friends now that we didn't have possibly before. Like, I feel like <sighs> I have a responsibility to really... Um, I had Christina Greer on the podcast recently, and you know she was talking about that, about how when you see your white friend doing something and you don't say nothing, you're letting them loose onto the world with that behavior. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of work, but that's, you know, when you talk about that work that we have to do, like if you're not a marcher, let's say, here's, here's something you can do. There's, there's so many different things you can do. Tell your white friends. I also think we need to talk about cultural literacy and cultural appreciation a little bit more. Cause it's like, you can't steal our TikTok dances and appreciate our, if you don't you're not going to value our art. You don't get access to it if you're not willing to understand how this was born. It is one and the same. And I also think this is the reason your white friends, like pick black authored books for your book club. And it, I would love for y'all to read some Octavia Butler and some Toni Morrison, but if that's too much, read Jasmine Guillory or Alyssa Cole or these phenomenal romances written by black women that are centered on the Black experience, but not all about it. And celebrate Black joy in your life. I, I, I honestly think we need to also talk about cultural literacy and doing an audit of whose books am I reading? Whose music am I listening to? What shows am I watching? Because there is some incredible art out there that will inform as much as it entertains, that helps cultivate empathy. And I really think the older generation is maybe a lost cause, but with our kids... We could start with showing them these shows and reading them these books and exposing them to this and having conversations. I mean, Lord knows, you know, my brown boys, well, Rocky's three and just likes to say, I want to watch Paw Patrol. But with Ro, who is seven, you know, he, we have these conversations. We talk about the difference between the original Star Wars trilogy and the sequels and how people look different in the sequels. It looks more like the world he's growing up in, in New York City, that there are people who look like him in these shows. And we have a conversation of when we were kids, we had one deeply offensive character of Apu in The Simpsons. Mm, And that's it. I don't think you understand how much things have changed. And you also don't understand how much more work we have to do to go from here. Talking about race is not a scary thing. Talking about race is just acknowledging the existence and the experiences of non-white people, which this whole country has been centered around since its inception when it kicked out the indigenous people of color who originally lived here. Now, I have a question for you about Kamala again. Like, I think of her, I know this 
is wrong, but I do think of her as a black woman. She is not just a black woman. She's also Asian. Mm-hmm. How does that translate to you? I, I've never had anyone talk about her as far as an Asian woman. So her I, representation, yeah. I see her as a truly American woman first. Okay. Nice. And then and then a black woman because that's exactly how her South Asian mother raised her because she knew that's how this country would see her. And equally as much, I see her as a South Asian woman and specifically a South Indian woman, which I'm from South India. Kamala's family comes from the same state my husband's family's from, which is neighbors ours. And when she talks, if you've ever heard her talk about her heritage, she'll throw out the Tamil terms that I'm so familiar with, whether it's food or family endearments and whatnot. And that's very special to me because she had incredibly progressive grandparents who have said, of course, our daughters are going to be educated. Of course, our daughters are going to be able to choose their, what they want to do with their life. And we are going to celebrate that at a time when their caste, being Brahmin and in South India, didn't necessarily celebrate that. But really, it was women were expected to get married, have lots of children, take care of the home, pursue arts and have their, their, their idea of work would be you could teach singing, you could teach dance. You could teach a musical instrument, but you will not work outside of the home in terms of a traditional career. My grandfather was a lot like Kamala's own grandparents in that my mom rejected like 10 guys that she was introduced to for an arranged marriage. Wow. And men who were settled and wealthy and brought a lot to the table. And she picked my father who couldn't hear I was a bench chemist at Pfizer in the United States. And she picked him because he was honest about oh. what life was really like in the United States and that they what they would build, they would build together. And they have. They've built an incredible life that I have been so privileged to enjoy and reap the benefits of their incredible hard work. So I see a lot of my family's story in Kamala's story, but I also think it's a uniquely American story. And you don't have to be Indian or South Asian to appreciate it. And you can also appreciate how progressive her mother was in knowing how this country was going to view her daughters and raising her with that cultural appreciation and with that knowledge of being a member, the ownership of being in the Black community and both the joy that comes with that and the responsibility that comes with that. Have you met Kamala? Does she say, I like your book? You did. Tell us about that meeting. Oh my God, that's incredible. It I was, was I was prepared for you to go, no, but yes. It, it was before the book. It was when she was still running for president. It was at a fundraiser and I had the opportunity to just have five minutes conversing with her. And I told her, I said, you know, every evening when I have the news on and I'm cooking dinner, my son sees you and he goes, mommy, look, she looks like us. And how much that meant to me because it's something I had never had growing up being a little political nerd and only seeing old white men on my TV. So that type of representation meant a lot to us. But then we also talked about, you know, I told her that my husband's family is where her family was from. We talked about our favorite foods. I mentioned that like next time I'll bring you some pickle, like some of our spicy relish. And she was like, oh my God, I would love that. And it was just, (laughs) she has this incredible ability to make you feel like you are the only person in the room. You are the most important person in the room. She is fully present with you. And in researching the book, which I did based off of her own book and all the press that she's had over the course of her career, this is not uh, unique to people who she meets at fundraisers. This is who she is. 
Like I lost count at how many godchildren she has, like at like number seven. And I was just like, damn, to be that, to be able to be, you know, one of the most powerful people in this world, but also still calling your godkids and checking in on them and calling them for their birthdays and taking them on trips and having, sharing experiences with them is so powerful. And I think that's what makes, this is why women are so remarkable. Yeah, the the multitasking of caring. Yeah, women get it done. I mean, if you've ever seen a family reunion, you know what we could do. I mean, we got the T-shirts and the family itinerary and the whole thing is branched. Like, come on now. Come on. The kitchen is organized. Yes. Everyone knows what they're responsible for. Food gets put out. Food gets, things get cleaned up. Yes. Family reunions yeah. are like corporations in like two weekends. It's like... <laughs> Yes, I love it. And then you talk about those headlines. Like you said, like how she's been treated by the media has been quite unfair. But it's unsurprising because this is the playbook that they're used to because who owns the major corporations, media corporations? White men. White men who lean conservative because they understand inflammatory, slightly untrue headlines or what gets clicks or chirons that are alarming gets views and thus brings in that advertising revenue and increases rates and makes them more money. The business of media had went from informing the public to generating revenue, and they are focused on generating revenue at the expense of women because they don't know how, because they don't have as many women making those decisions. They go with the same playbook, which is the buildup, the anointment, and the teardown. And Vice President Harris has experienced it with every election she's ever run for and at every office she's held. She's been through this five times already, and she'll probably go through it again. But she knows every time she ends up on top, so my money's on her. But it's also incumbent on us to call out headlines like that, to actively not click on those bullshit headlines or turn off. Like they said, what'd she say? uh, Don't come. That's the one that stays with me, and I think everyone. I know. When she told, and and they set, talked about it on the View. It, it's the one thing that that they repeated, repeated, and I think there was a fuller explanation of what she was saying. Right? She was saying we are working on helping you claim asylum in your own country, so you don't have to make this dangerous journey. We are working on making your own community safer so you can stay exactly where you were if that is where you need to be. She just said, don't come and make this incredibly harrowing journey where your safety is going to be at more at risk than if you stay here. And I mean, I think to back to what we were talking about, the younger people, maybe not wanting to, they, they expect their news to be delivered and, you know, this is the era of TikTok, yeah. 15 mm-hmm. to 60 second sound bites. Yep. And unfortunately, that is not what civics is about. It is about understanding the system and then taking, pushing through that catchy headline or that tweet and actually reading about it and investigating what was actually said and what was the intention. And of course, she's an easy target given that the people know, media companies know they're going to get the attention by yeah. taking this out of context and blasting it everywhere, which then gets picked up by other media properties and programming and newspapers. And there's a groundswell. But I, I wish think- a woman in in her position 
could do the work and just always say no comment. <laughs> I know it's not possible. But, you know, just on paper, here's the work. You read it. I, on, you know. But also, there's but, the thing. They don't really teach civics anymore. Like, if you sit down and you ask, like, kids exactly what they're learning in school, a lot of it's pretty, quite alarming. You know, like, my daughter has gym class now almost every day. But for a while, she had gym, like, one day a week. <laughs> or my son would have gym one day a week. Or the fact that there was no music or art, cl- art classes in a lot of public schools. Or the fact is a lack of civics. To the point where kids are graduating from high school, they don't even know what the electoral college is. I think it's a place. They don't know what it is. So, yeah, they need to know what they don't know. Yes. Lizzo, Liz or Lizzo, sorry. <laughs> this is where my age goes. <laughs> and I'm having a hot flash. If you, if you could see, I wish I could just like fan Liz- you from here. I I know. Know. I sl- my sister does that on FaceTime. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I go, it's not going to it's, uh, during the summer, though, my hot flashes kick in so much more because it's like it's hot and then it just triggers it. Have you ever had one on so stage? Liz, I'm sorry. Have you had a hot flash? During the summer, I have them on stage. And some one time I actually jumped off. I said, listen, I told the audience, give me a sec. I'll be right back. They were like, what? Can you do this? Because <laughs> I, I had asked the waitress to give me a glass of ice. I won't say which comedy club, but it was not the comedy cellar because they're smart. But I asked the waitress, I said, can you give me a glass of ice? She thought I was joking, and she never brought Girl, it. Girl, that's not funny. So, I, and she just looked at me. She said, Are you ser-? I said, yes, I'm serious. You know, like, I'm not, I don't just talk in a box as a stand-up comic. I'm, this is not TV. I mean it. Get me a bo- <laughs> glass of ice. And she just did not. So I told the audience, I said, I'm, I'll be right back. Got my own ice. And I came back to the stage. I said, listen, that was the commercial break. You know, I have hot flashes, so you're going to have to deal with it as an audience. You know, it was funny. It's going to continue to be funny, but this is what you're going to get. Every Uh, summer, I go to Chinatown and I buy like a 20-pack of those bamboo fans. I ended up losing them all by the end of summer, but... You do lose fans. I just... Those are like the best things I buy every single summer. I've had them made for me. I've had... I don't even know where that fan is. It's beautiful, too. It's somewhere. I didn't break it. I didn't break it, but it's here somewhere. Now, Lizzo pledges $1 million from tour profits to defend abortion rights. As we all bore witness as 50 years of re- reproductive rights were reversed by the Supreme Court, Lizzo is taking immediate action. The singer tweeted that she pledged 500000 to Planned Parenthood and the National Network of Abortion Funds, NNAF, from the profits of her upcoming special tour. According to CNBC, since states have now been granted the decision-making power to dictate whether or not access to abortion will be legal, some states have issued immediate responses as well. Arkansas, for instance, began canceling abortion appointments that had been scheduled for weeks right after the announcement was made. For many individuals who will potentially need to leave their home state to receive the proper health care they deserve, travel costs could become a restriction. Funds being collected by organizations like NNAF, PPFA, and the abortion funds will assist with these needs, as well as provide other resources. Lizzo later took her urgings to Instagram, where she asked her fans to contribute via her website, LizzoLovesYou.com. Sign the Bands Off My Body petition and sign up to volunteer, she wrote. And we have Michelle Obama and Obama, you know, tweeting. But I had to say, like, Obama, 
Like, I don't know if I'm wrong in saying, I don't know if I, I don't have all the information, but why didn't he, why didn't he put that guy in? The Merrick Garland? Court? Yes, when he had that opportunity. Was there something more? No, I, thought he, he, I thought they wouldn't vote for him. I thought they wouldn't even get together to hear about Merrick Garland. He would be doing, he, so it is, the Senate doesn't have to confirm a justice. That said, because it had always been done, listen, you know as well as I do, if he had been the first president to do so and the first black president to do so at that, it would have, he viewed it as he would have undermined faith in the institutions of government. Unfortunately, his predecessor did not care about, his successor did not yeah, care about any saying. of that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We need to stop acting. This is what Democrats do. We care too much about what they think. And that's what I'm saying. But like, we, Stop chasing them. We need to start playing offense. Stop playing defense all the time. They win because they play offense. That's why they win. I agree. It's a lot easier to take away rights than give people more rights. And it's a lot easier to kick some ass and to swat people hitting at you. It really is. If it's a lot easier to whoop somebody's ass than to you just be fending off what they're doing. We need to be on our own I just, agenda. I actually want to know when Michelle Obama is going to say it's okay to go low. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yes. that, will, that will actually galvanize a lot of people. But it also comes down to this. We have, we have never lived up to the ideals of America. A lot of us know that America is, has never been as the ideal that so many people have assumed it was and that there's always been work to do. That said, I also agree with Holly. It's time to steal the playbook mm-hmm. that has effectively worked for the for, pro-forced birth, mm-hmm. pro-unfettered gun access advocates. Mm-hmm. Take that playbook and run it better mm-hmm. than they ever did. And here's where I see some hope here is you have a lot of Senate candidates who have pledged to remove the filibuster, reform the filibuster to get bills like voting rights, to get abortion access, to get potential Supreme Court modifications put in place. You have Val Demings in Florida and Sherry Beasley in North Carolina and Tim Ryan in Ohio and John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. We can win these races. We can Additionally, we have to hold on to Warnock's got to hold on, Kelly's got to get reelected, and the senators from both New Hampshire and Nevada. But if we win those, we can play hardball because you finally have the votes you had. People talk a lot about why didn't Obama codify Roe back then or why didn't he do more when he had the Senate supermajority? He had it for 24 working days. He did not have it. And you had a lot of blue dog Democrats. You had Joe Lieberman. You think Joe Lieberman is going to play ball with that? He's the reason we don't have a public option in the ACA. So we have, unfortunately for us, a really um, discombobulated caucus. We do not have consistency in the Senate that we need. So F. Joe Manchin and F. Kirsten Sinema, let's render them irrelevant Mm -hmm. by getting in Let's be honest. Let's get two black women into the Senate where they belong, and let's get more after that. But Amen. let's start with let's start with Demings and Beasley first, and let's get the people who are going to do the right things for all Americans and are not afraid to do it immediately. Oh, I'm so glad I have you on the show to break that down <laughs> because I've I've been getting so annoyed by everyone attacking Obama that and I didn't have an answer for it. I just did, you know I get emotional. That's why even on, on certain, like, like when I go on a certain podcast, I, you know, I, and, they're, and they're right. And I, I just get so angry. And my neck starts going. 
And I, I, I mean, I become that sister. Like, I'm like, listen, you. <laughs> I know you like, you break it down you for you. To, like, you, yeah, you, I feel you. You know, the that first snaps. time I actually have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love having, having information to throw back at people like this. That's the only way you can get into a conversation with them is if you have the numbers, you have the statistics, you have the facts. Because mm-hmm. they never have it. It's they just, never have it's it. It's like but, a passion and insults and. You know what I mean? And it makes you snap and you fall off a black girl cliff. Like you just walk right off. Next thing you know, you're ah. <laughs> Let's see. There are some limits on what pro-choice states can do alone, but at the minimum, lawmakers should act vigorously to ensure that abortion providers are able to serve out-of-state patients, unable to obtain care in their home. Yes, we talked about that. And Connecticut and New York have already passed such laws and others should follow suit. Sometimes the best way to protect against overreaching by the conservative court is through good old-fashioned lawmaking. This is from the article by Aaron Tang, and there's a way to outmaneuver the Supreme Court, and Maine has found it. So check out that article. If you're in your state and you're like wondering, what do I do? Check out that article and get involved and listen and share this episode because hit the nose what she's talking about. <laughs> I have to ask you about packing. Oh, <laughs> because I saw that this is to something fun, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's this book. Yeah. How to pack your suitcase, please. This is oh, such I a thought we were talking about packing because- the Supreme Court. I was like, wait a minute. I was all, I really was. I was like, oh my God, we're going to talk about this. So, okay. You know what? We could talk about two things. Back to first the Supreme Court. So, you know, FDR, when the court, Supreme Court originally ruled Social Security and a lot of his New Deal programs as unconstitutional. He made sure he stacked the Senate and the House with the votes he needed to threaten to expand the court. That is why this midterm election is so important. We cannot yes. be afraid to elect senators who are willing to do whatever it takes to restore the dignity and the impartiality of the court because it has gone way off the other other side of things and is it is ruling deeply un-American and unpopular rulings that are going to threaten the livelihoods and sanctity of anyone who's been disenfranchised in this country. So that's the hope that's right there. Make sure you vote for these senators if you are in those states and get involved with their campaigns if you are able and donate if you are not local because you can donate to any candidate you want. On packing, travel smart for any trip, I think my my life's work is to help save women time and energy on the things they have to do so they have time and energy to do what they want to do. And packing was the first sort of beachhead here. It was from my blog, Hit the On The Go, which I had started when I first started working with my father and was traveling every single week with a bunch of old men who threw everything in a backpack and they were deemed appropriate. And I was like, I am a 25-year-old young woman. I don't get the privilege of doing that. I need stuff to make me look presentable in a work setting. And so once I started sharing how I was packing for these business trips, some were multi-stop trips over the course of a week with very different climates and dress codes, the blog really took off. And I always um, look like, like a New Yorker in like Florida or California. <laughs> which is important, but still. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important to remind Floridians what that you are a New Yorker so they know not to fuck but with you. But not in a coat. No, but just all black. Like Winter all black coat. linen. I know. Someone once said to me that I looked like I was from New York because I had all black on. And I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah. 
You don't want to like. Yeah, that all black. Bright colors in New York makes you a target. Yeah, that all black (laughs) thing is funny because whenever I visit my sister in LA, like I'm a normal sized woman and I wear all black, I just feel like a chubby vampire. Like that's just how I feel (laughs) in Los Angeles. I'm like, ah, I eat carbs. I just. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) Because I feel the same way. I am like, I feel like I'm a New York like seven, which makes me like an LA one. It is, it's hard to be in LA. Sometimes it you're like, is. oh my God. Down south, you're a nine. I know. Four oh, no. ten. Come on. <laughs> anyway, how to pack travel smart for any trip is the book I got because of the blog. And I actually got this book. I got approached by an editor from Clarkson Potter. The day I came home from the hospital with my first son, Ro, and I thought like I was still on a lot of drugs and that it was like a fake email where I hallucinated it. So I made like my husband look this editor up and he's like, no, it's legit. And and then, you know, she sold the book based off the blog and I had an offer letter in like three weeks. And that's not normal. That is not a normal way to get a book deal. But I was very lucky. And I have to give my mom so much credit here because when my dad and my husband are like, you just had a baby and now you're going to write a book in six months, my mom said, damn straight she is. Like, I will do whatever I can to make sure she pulls this off. And she did. And I did. Wow. And that was So what is the like, trick to packing light? Like, I... With when you get older, especially, and you have medication, that's mm-hmm. the something I notice. And I, maybe it's because I also smoke a tremendous amount of marijuana when I pack. So I, it, it takes me a long time to get. Like I, you know, as a comedian, we're on the road all the time, and I used to just throw stuff in and not even think about. It, but I don't know if it's the pandemic or what's happened. Like I have to pack for Chicago this Wednesday, and I haven't done it yet. And so I'm thinking it's. It's, it's taken me longer to pack. It took me the last time I went on a road trip. I was like, it took me like three. Hours. That never happened to me before as a comedian. I used to just throw the stuff in, but now I'm like, like I said, I think maybe because of the pandemic, I'm like, I gotta take this this place where I sheltered for two years with me. <laughs> okay, so here's a few tips. The first is to just have a pre-packed toiletry bag, and for you. Ask your doc, doctor for um, a longer prescription and have like your med separate meds back pre-packed and ready to go. For, oh. So that way you'd never forget them. And that's one less thing you have to pack. And at the end of every trip, refill all your bottles with whatever toiletries you need or replace them if you have travel sized things and you're good to go. Second tip. That you is- just blew my mind. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> you just blew my freaking mind. That's pretty good. That's such a simple thing to do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Second thing is um, pill bottles make the best um, toiletry bottles. So don't worry about having to go buy specific bottles. Those things are leak proof as fuck. So yes. just, um, you know, take a piece of masking tape and write down what it is you're filling it up with. So you don't need to even go out and buy new, like, those refillable bottles are such a scam. Skip that. Go with your pill bottles. The second thing is, is um, pack from the cl- clothes that you're always reaching for time and time again. I call these power pieces. And it's like, I have the pants that I know fit me great when I'm having a skinny day, but also can accommodate like I'm on my period or 
I have post-flight bloat, or I'm just enjoying eating my feelings at this new destination. And I want, I know these pants are going to fit me, or this top is not going to gap at weird places. And pack from the items you are already wearing that make you feel like a million bucks and limit like your fun pieces or fantasy pieces, as I call them, to one to two pieces per trip. Thank you. Because I all of a sudden, when I pack, all of a sudden, I'm, I got outfits for every day when I know I only wear the same jeans every day. Exactly. Just stick with those jeans, but maybe have fun with a couple different shirts in case you want to. There's this whole sense of, I need to be a brand new person whenever I take yes. a trip. Yeah. And you don't, you just need to be your best self. So pack the clothes and the accessories and the beauty products that make you feel like your best self. Aww, you you, you really so hit the nail on the head with that, like, don't pack them another person. Because we went to go visit family. And, like, in this past two years, I've gotten into wigs, like, really gotten into wigs. I had, like, four different wigs for three days. Like, I was packing all. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why am I packing all these wigs? Why don't I just, you know what I mean? Like, it, it gets ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, the kids are starting to act up and hit this house too. Or not act up. Let me say they're they're just talking. They're living right? their lives. <laughs> they are existing. Um, <laughs> and you know what? That's life. That that is yeah, who we are. Kids are that loud. They're do. loud and they come through, they leave a trail of everything and yeah. They're just so messy. Yeah. Like the the the, the toys and the things everywhere, the crumbs everywhere. Ugh. By the way, anyway. earlier when you mentioned Paw Patrol, I was like, yo, that Paw Patrol used to be my jam. And uh, my kids are a little older now, but what killed me, I'm sorry, I thought, there was a, this, I thought this was funny, is during the racial reckoning, Paw Patrol was on a shopping block. Like, they, were, they were, they were like, I think we need to look at Paw Patrol. I was like, no. I was like, don't take my Paw Patrol. That is my You're show. kidding. Yes. Well, they tried to get rid of PBS. The attempts to get rid of PBS is insanity. Yeah. Yeah, but during the racial reckoning and they defund the police, they were like, put Paul I think it was because they have a police dog chase. Yeah, it's a police dog. Somehow. Like, <laughs> oh, God. I was, like, the I was like, don't mess with Paw Patrol. I don't like that. Don't like that. Honestly, I feel like Paw Patrol should be training our police forces, not the other way around. They get it done, though. They get it done and without shooting anybody. They always do. I gave my niece a uh, Paw Patrol gift for Christmas, and I was like, I think I did good. You did. you did good. She, you did. You did. I don't have kids, but I do, you know, speaking to what you said with uh, Kamala, because she doesn't have kids either, right? Like, you know, I can't have kids, but I know the relationship that I've fostered with my nieces mm -hmm. is unbelievable. And my sisters thank me all the time. They're like, you made this happen. You call and it's, we call it TT Thursdays and sometimes it's TT Tuesdays. I tell them, even if we don't have a week, you can call me anytime you want. You could talk to me about anything. I'm not going to judge you. You know, I'm your, I'm your aunt. You can say whatever you want with me. You know, I do have a responsibility to tell you the right thing, but I know sometimes you may need someone else to talk to, especially during the pandemic like that had them, you know, these kids are different, right? And and I just feel like it's a it's an important time to communicate to our youth, really have a relationship, you know. Um, I want to thank you all for being on Friends Like Us today. I'm Hitha Pelipu. Yes. Did I say right? Yes. Ah. Yes. This was a really great episode. It was like effortless with both of you. So good. Yeah, I had a really good time. Um, Thank you. 
Me too. Well, Thank you so much for having us. You. I'll start with Holly. Uh, tell me where our listeners can find you. Okay, you can find me. I'm Holly Harper. That's H O L L I E. Harper, like in Harper's Bazaar. You can find me on IG on Holly Harper 5, the number 5. And on Twitter, Holly Harper 5, the number 5. And with friends like us, you know you are always learning something really good from the best. Thank you. Yes. And we've had that today. And thank you, Holly, for always just being available. I really, I, I think I've ever said this to you, but I really appreciate every time you, you come back to the show. You're always available. You're always kind. Thank you so much. And you're just, you're such a great addition on the show each time. I feel so grateful. I, I'm the Terry Gar of the, I wrote David Letterman with Terry Gar back in the 80s and she would be on there. Like she would come up. That's me. I will be here. So I'm grateful. And thank you so much. It's another wonderful time. You're an angel. All right. And Hitha? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Hitha Palapu, H-I-T-S-N-T-O-M-H-A-P-A-L-E-P-U. And you can subscribe to my newsletter at fivesmartreads.com. That's the number five. That's where we got one of our articles, by the way, was from Your Smart Reads. So thank thank you. you. With friends like us, you can help rebuild the world we deserve to live in versus the world we have been born into. Yes. Marina Franklin here. Thank you so much. Will you please come back? Yes. I would love Anytime. to have you back and with Nitika, Nitika yes. Chopra, who I would love for you to meet. And then we can have Holly so she can meet Nitika because Nitika is wonderful. That'd be awesome. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. July 19th, I have a headline show at the Fat Black Pussycat. You want to check that out? Maybe you can email me uh, on my website, marinafranklin.com for free tickets. Or you could go to my YouTube live, which is on Saturdays. If you're following me, you already are on the YouTube live where we promote friends like us and I usually give away free tickets there so uh, with friends like us you can have old friends that are great and new friends that are phenomenal that give you the most important information to go up against these assholes (laughs) 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 check us out